Good morning once again to everybody, and welcome to our stream. Maybe you're just now tuning in. You missed the actual good stuff, uh, which was Jess and Marie talking, and uh, yeah, that's the good stuff. And uh, and then we had music too. So um, and the trivia, the trivia too, which was uh, it was kind of tough today. I got I got to level with you. It was a little tough. So um, those of you that got questions right on the trivia, good work on that. Uh, Old Testament stuff was in was in it today. Um, but we are continuing our series, The Fire Pit Effect. And I actually, yesterday, I piled up some wood on the, on the burn pile. And uh, I think it's about time to, to light that thing up. So I think it's still at the point where it's safe, but it will be impressive when it finally lights up. So I don't know, maybe today or tomorrow I'll burn that pile. But The Fire Pit Effect is about fellowship. It's about fellowship with God and fellowship with other people. And that's more than friendship. It's a deeper level of thing that's happening when we talk about fellowship. There's a unity and a connection that happens, and we've set the stage for that through this series as we've been looking at the letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a group of churches in an area called Galatia, and that letter is called Galatians. So we've been looking at it and learning about salvation and about what that means for us individually, but also what it means for everyone and making sure we're really clear on what salvation is and who it's for. So um, I would encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to, to uh, participate in those other two messages, they are here on YouTube and uh, also on our website and also on iTunes for you to be able to watch and catch up on those things. Today, I want to talk about an element of the fire pit that I'm sure we have all experienced, and it might be one of the most annoying things to me. Okay, have you ever noticed... Lots of things annoy you. So. Lots of things do. <laughs> My wife just said lots of things annoy me, which is true. All right, so, but one of them is that when I'm sitting around the fire, particularly the closer to the fire that I get, the more I notice that my face gets hot, but my back gets cold. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> and like the further away I am from the fire, the less contrast there is between the... the, the my front and my back, you know, my face and my neck. But the closer I get, the realize, the more I realize that, man, that's like really cold there, out there behind me. And that's the element of the fire pit I want to talk about today. And we're going to get to that. So as we get to that idea, I want to give a little bit of background, particularly for those of you that maybe uh, haven't been with us throughout this entire series. But the very first week of this series, and very, very important, we talked about the fact that we gather around the fire pit of faith not the, the, around the fire pit of religion, not around the fire pit of rules, not around the fire pit of what they talk about in the scripture called the law, which was the set of rules that the Israelites had to follow in order to be in fellowship with God. Well, that's not what we gather around. And so it's very important for us to understand what that means for us practically. And it's a huge, huge concept, something that I'm continuing to learn about and understand but the point of the whole thing is that we become a child of God by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's by faith in Jesus, believing in him, trusting him for salvation, not by any works that we do. So there's nothing that I could do essentially to earn my way to God or make myself deserving of salvation. I'm broken, I'm sinful, and I'm lost. And so I couldn't be good enough to earn my way into heaven. And so I have to come to Jesus only by faith in him, believing in him. 
So I don't have to do anything else in order to put my faith in Jesus. I don't have to clean my life up. I don't have to get right. I don't have to mend relationships. I don't have to be clean. I don't have to whatever. I come to Jesus as I am, and my salvation, my position with God, is secured by my faith in Jesus and my faith in Jesus alone. That's really, really important. Now, what will happen often, this is what people were trying to do to the churches in Galatia, and people will try to do it to us now, is tell us that after we put our faith in Jesus and become a child of God, now, in order to keep that salvation, I have to keep the rules. So the problem is, it's all messed up. The, the, the mentality is that I come to, I become a uh, child of God, I get saved by faith in Jesus, but then I have to keep my salvation by works. And Paul's telling them, no, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't even make any sense. You didn't, you didn't come to faith by the law. Now are you going to try and keep salvation by the law? No, 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 of course not. That's not the way that it works. But what people will do is they will try to bring the law back in or bring rules back in and say, okay, even if you were saved by faith, now in order to keep that faith, you have to keep all of the rules. And if you don't keep the rules, then you lose. Well, I, well, which is it? Did I, do I have to earn salvation or not? And Paul is making it really clear in the book of Galatians, no, no, you don't. That mentality, the, the you have to keep all of the rules in order to maintain your salvation. You have to follow this strict code. You have to follow this, this our own law today. Or even you have to follow the law from the Old Testament. That's something we call legalism. And Paul did not want them to get trapped in that. They were called Judaizers that were, that were doing it at the time, which is kind of a funny word to say. But Paul didn't want them to be trapped in it. He wasn't going to be trapped in it. He doesn't want me to be trapped in it, and I don't want you to be trapped in it. We are saved by faith and faith alone. And so we're going to be reading primarily from Galatians chapter 5 today as we explore the implications of this concept, because I know that right off, right out of the gate, some of you, like me, might have some reservations about that idea. And you go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 let's think this thing through. Okay, let's think this thing through. First, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty or the freedom by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. He said, you got to stand fast in this. This is the truth. We need to believe it and we need to live by it. Don't get sucked back into legalism or don't get sucked back into the observance of the law. Now, that is great theoretically. It is supported strongly biblically. But it is concerning practically. <laughs> okay? Because the natural first argument or concern when you hear this idea that we come to faith, we come to Jesus by faith, not by works, and we stay in faith, we stay with him in our faith, not by works, the natural reaction to that is, whoa, 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 wait a second. So you're telling me that somebody can put their faith in Jesus, believe in him, and then continue to sin knowingly or willingly and they're still saved? That can't be right. That, A, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem just. Like, how, how could that possibly? You mean to tell me that somebody could believe in Jesus, and then they could go out and they could murder somebody, and they still get to go to heaven? 
You're, you're telling me that, that somebody could, could believe in Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, trust him for salvation, be addicted to pills, continue to take those pills, continue to spiral down in their addiction, and they're still saved? Yes. Yes. I know that that creates a practical problem for us. I know it creates a concern and it, it, it plucks that string of justice within us that says, that can't be right. The only reason that we say it can't be right is because we think we keep the rules, by the way, and we feel like we are capable of maintaining and keeping our salvation by works while someone else might not be. It's only pride that makes us feel that way. But yes, Yes, somebody can put their faith in Jesus, be saved, and continue to sin and live in a sinful lifestyle. Absolutely. They can continue to do that. You want a good example? You're looking at one. Oh. Jess, do I sin? Yes. She said that Very quickly. louder and quicker than anything else she said today, also, to be quite I honest. Think, I typed yes in the chat yeah. before you asked me that question, but now it seems like I'm answering yes. <laughs> She was answering in the chat prematurely. Okay. Listen, I continue to sin. I do it by accident. I do it on purpose. I sin. I don't want to, but I do. And, and I don't believe that my sin ends my salvation with God. I don't feel like I need to be resaved over and over and over again. Because I know that my salvation came by faith in Jesus, not by my works and my my salvation is maintained by my faith in Jesus, not by my works. And so, yeah, I'm a good example of that. There are no rules to follow that make us capable of earning salvation, not before we get saved and not after we get saved. Nothing changed. It's by faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. And I know that's a, that's a difficult concept for us to get our heads wrapped around, but this is something that I have learned to, to remind myself of, and I want to encourage you to remind yourself of all constantly, constantly. What people do with the truth does not determine what is true. What people do with the truth does not determine what is true. Our reactions do not dictate God's actions. So even though someone might, and this is the concern, right? Well, couldn't someone take advantage of that? Couldn't someone just sin and say, well, I'm forgiven, you know, I'm forgiven and I'm a child of God and I can, yes. The answer is yes, they can do that. But that doesn't change what is true. What we do with it is what we do with it, but what is true is true. One of the schools of thought that was circling at the, the time of the early church when they're trying to get their minds wrapped around this concept for the first time. Because when you think about all the religions in the world, all of them that I know of are works-based religions. Do this, do that, do this and you're good with God or whatever deity there is. Don't do this, right? That's the way that it works. And it's like, I guess there's a point system and somebody's keeping score and whoever's above a certain line gets in and whoever's below a line doesn't get in. Like The Good Place. Yeah, we watched this show, The Good Place on, on, the, on the televisions and uh, we watch it on the... I think we watched it on the Hulus or something. But, um, but nevertheless, yeah, it's like there's a point system, and you got to earn points, and you're either in or you're out, or we don't really know where we stand. That's all religions. Even, and that was how um, 
Israel felt about their relationship with God because of the law. They were in or they were out based on whether they kept the sacrifices and the feasts and the festivals and everything. What they didn't fully understand at the time was that they were saved by faith the same way we're saved by faith um, uh, and that the law uh, did something did something different. But all of a sudden there's this new concept of the salvation by faith and it's not works and it's not earned anymore. So they're having a really hard time getting their heads around it. So people, critics who were trying to poke holes in the idea, I would assume, came up with this idea. Now, wait a minute. If when we sin, God gives us grace, and God giving us grace brings God glory, then why wouldn't I sin and sin and sin and sin and sin because every time God would give me grace and then he would receive more glory? This is, a theory. This is, all, this is all over scripture, by the way. Uh, Paul has to deal with this all the time, like, oh, my goodness, are you, you're kidding me, right? Like, that's a joke, right? <laughs> so, so the idea was, well, should I keep on sitting that grace may abound, that, that God would receive more glory? Well, no, of course not. <laughs> of course not. But nevertheless, this is why this, I mean, part of the reason this concept is so hard to get our head wrapped around, because practically we say, well, people are going to take this idea and run with it. They're going to live however they want. Really? Can they do that? Yeah, yeah, they can absolutely do that. But there is a caution on this. Because the question is, well, can we just sin without consequence now? Oh, no, 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 didn't say that. <laughs> didn't say that. Didn't say there was no consequence for sin. But that our salvation is not based on it. There's a difference. Paul says in verse 13 of, of chapter 5, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. He's teaching them against this idea. But through love, serve one another. So Paul taught, uses this terminology a lot, flesh. Okay, The flesh is my sinful nature. It is my self-serving desire that exists within me from the moment of conception that I'm born with. The desire to feed my own needs, the desire to take care of myself, the desire to seek pleasure for myself, the desire to lift myself up and ultimately to give myself glory. This is the flesh. And he says, don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh because you could. You could. And he says, don't. Don't. It's the flesh that causes most of my anger. I get angry because I feel like somebody victimizes me, like somebody hurts me, like someone knocks me down a peg, like somebody doesn't consider me. And because of that, I get angry. That is my flesh. It's the flesh is at the root of materialism wanting to have more and more and more things because things make me feel important or things make me feel safe or money makes me feel significant or of value. And so as my bank account goes up, my self-esteem goes up. This, is all, this all comes out of the flesh. The flesh is the root of addiction, wanting a chemical that is going to make me feel a certain way. And I'm willing, if I'm addicted, I'm often willing to sacrifice my family and my friends and my finances and my security and my freedom and sacrifice all that just so that I can fulfill the need and the desire that I have that's been built into me that is either emotional or mental or chemical or whatever it is, spiritual or whatever it is. It all comes out of 
the flesh. I sacrifice others for myself. That is the flesh. And we can use our freedom that way. And people say, well, you know, like I said a moment ago, well, wait a minute. (laughs) Does that mean that I could just feed the flesh? Does that mean that I could do whatever I want and there are no consequences? No. (laughs) There are tremendous consequences for sin. Does that mean sin doesn't exist anymore? No. (laughs) There are consequences for sin. There are consequences now. And those consequences are broken relationships and fear and anxiety and ongoing sin that's caused by sin. It's a broken relationship between me and God where I don't feel like I'm in fellowship with God. I don't feel close to him. I'm not listening to him. He's not giving me peace or I'm not feeling encouraged. All these bad things are happening around me and it's a result of my actions. There are serious consequences now. And yes, there are consequences later. If I, if I just lived my entire life right now for myself, when I get to heaven or when, I get, when Christ brings his kingdom here to earth and I'm a part of that kingdom and I will be because I'm saved, But if I waste my whole life, when the time comes for the kingdom, how much is Jesus going to trust me with? Little to nothing. My inheritance in the kingdom is going to be so small because I wasted my life and I proved myself unfaithful. This is what many of Jesus' parables are about, this exact idea. Yet if I, if I choose to live righteously, if I choose to live like Christ, if I choose to put on the character of Christ, not to live in the flesh, but to deny the flesh and live in the spirit, then I prove myself faithful. There's great reward waiting for me. All right? And I get to experience all the benefits that God has built into creation now for those who are faithful and righteous and following him. So the idea that, oh, well, your salvation is not based on works, does that mean our works don't matter? Not saying that at all. Our works absolutely matter. They just don't have to do with our salvation. Paul is trying to drive that home and he wants them to understand that now, how am I to live in that freedom that I have, in the liberty that I have? Do not use it as an opportunity for the flesh. And he says this, I'm going to jump to chapter 6 just for a moment so that you can see that Paul reiterates this idea of, that yes, there are consequences for actions. Uh, This is in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. So you're not going to pull one over on God. That's what he's saying. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. So you spend time in the flesh, that's what you're going to get back. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. So you get to experience life now and forever living in the spirit. And he gives us these two options. So you either sow to the flesh or you sow to the spirit. And he tells us the difference between the two. This to me is the difference in sitting at a fire and having the heat of the fire warm the front of my body while the cold of the dark cools the back of my body. And here's what I've noticed that when I'm not close to the fire, my proximity to the fire is further away, the difference between the front and the back isn't that drastic. It all feels about the same. The closer I get to the fire, the more I notice the difference between the heat on the front of my body and the cold on the back of my body. And what I found is that the more time that I spend living in the spirit and sowing to the spirit and feeding the spirit and listening to the spirit, the more I see how cold and dark 
the flesh is in my own life. And it's only until you get close to the fire that you really see that and experience that. It is natural for us to feed the flesh, but Jesus showed us a better way. It's natural for us to be self-serving, but Jesus showed us not how to sacrifice others for ourselves, but how to sacrifice ourselves for others. And that is listening to the Spirit and what God wants us to do. The proper response to the freedom that we have is to use it to serve others. And the difference and the contrast between those two things could not be more drastic. All right, he says this in verse 15, uh, 16, Galatians 5, 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So here's, here's what Paul's getting at with this. That... When you sow to the flesh, when you live in the flesh and follow the flesh, it incapacitates you for doing the effective and meaningful things that God wants you to do. You want to follow the Spirit, but you're listening to the flesh, and because you're listening to the flesh, you're not experiencing what God wants you to experience. And you're not earning the reward that He wants you to reward. And so we have to choose the Spirit over the flesh. This is a constant battle that Christians go through. Yes, when I put my faith in Jesus, I am God's and I am God's forever, but I still have the flesh and I and then he sends the spirit. And they in my life go to battle with one another. And who wins is my choice. Is my choice. I choose whether I'm going to follow and listen to the spirit or whether I'm going to follow and listen to my flesh. I choose who I listen to. And the results are drastic. They say, well, we're supposed to follow the Spirit. There's no set of rules, okay, necessarily. There's no, there's no list of demands that we must complete and check off in order to maintain that salvation. Okay, but does that mean then that there's no sin? No. No, of course not. That has, that has not changed. The sin is when we act outside of God's design or His desires, when we act outside of his design or his desires, and that hasn't changed. The Israelites had the law, and that helped them understand what those things were. You know, murder is still murder, and it is still a sin. Sexual immorality is sexual immorality, and it is still a sin. All right? Envy is envy, and it is still a sin. Those things are still acting outside of God's character. But we don't need a list of rules to determine our conduct anymore because we have the Spirit teaching us. And he uses the scripture and what we see in the Old Testament and what we see in the New Testament to teach us. He guides and directs our steps. Sin is still sin, and it disrupts our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, but it does not have to do with our salvation. That's what I'm trying to drive home. I think I've, have I sufficiently beaten that horse? People are loving this shouldn't, message, so. I shouldn't talk about beating horses. That's, Did I just ruin the whole message? That's a flesh thing. Yeah, that's a flesh thing, maybe. All right. So those things, sin is still sin, and it affects our relationship with God, which is why we want to remove it. Why, as Christians, I don't need the rules to tell me what the minimum standard is. I don't want a minimum standard. 
I want the Spirit to draw me to the highest possible level. The highest possible level is holiness. The highest possible level is becoming like Christ, Christ-likeness. And I want to get there as, as fast and as closely as I possibly can, not only so I can experience the best of what God has for me now, but so that I can earn as much reward and have as much responsibility in His kingdom as I can, as I can possibly have. It is passion and desire and the movement of the Spirit in our life that draws us to the highest level, not a set of rules that tell us what the threshold is between in and out. That's not what it is. This is better, but what it requires is a lot more responsibility on our part. I think of it like parenting, like with kids. When you raise kids, and um, when you first were first born, and actually you can kind of track this through the history of humanity and God's relationship with them, but when they're first born, I mean, you don't really have to do a whole lot of discipline with them. You're just trying to get them to sleep at the right times. <laughs> You know what I mean? Just trying to trying to sleep train them. Um, but eventually they start making decisions. And you might notice with your kids that when they start making decisions, those decisions tend to be selfish. Why would that be? Well, that's because we have the flesh and the sin nature within us. All right, so they tend to be selfish. And then we have to begin the process of parenting. And what do we do with little kids? We make rules, right? We have to tell them, no, 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 you can't, you don't do this, and you, do, you don't go into this room, you can go into this room, you don't climb up the stairs, you, you don't hit your brother, you don't hit your sister, you have all these explicit rules. As they get older, though, those, they begin get, gaining more and more independence and freedom. And what you have to believe and trust with your kids is that you have instilled the character in them to allow them to then live in that freedom in a responsible way as teenagers and young adults. I feel like for us as the church today and the church age that we're in, that we are teenagers and young adults and that we have freedom. We have freedom in the relationship, but God has placed his spirit within us and has given us his word so we can understand what his character is. And as we make our own decisions, we are responsible for living in the spirit instead of living in the flesh because the rule book is not there for us any, uh, uh, anymore. Okay. Now, the, the part of the problem or part of the struggle with this, or maybe it's again the practical concern is, how do we tell? How do we tell? Well, first of all, it's not your job to tell <laughs> about anybody else. So don't worry about anybody else. You worry about you, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't really know. I mean, we do know. So there are some things in Scripture that we know are black and white as far as what is sin and what's not sin. And God's word is true and it is holy and uh, we know that what it says, when it says something is sin, that is sin. We do not have to question it. We do not have to talk about it. All right, there's a lot of gray area inside of that, and things change over time, and now we got to make other decisions. But the big question is, how do I know? How do I know if I'm living in the flesh or if I'm living in the spirit? Because it does feel very intangible. Paul helps us with that as he continues in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Galatians 5. The works of the flesh, so the, the outcome of what we're feeding or where we're sowing to in his terms is clear. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And now I know which ones Marie struggles with because she was going, mm, to some of them and not to all of them. <laughs> but now I know. Okay. Right, he's saying, 
Yeah, he's saying, he's saying, obviously, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I said not to judge other people just a minute ago, but um, she was, you know, you know, affirming. Anyway, yeah, I know you're trying to be responsive. I got you. Um, so the thing is about all these, he's saying, obviously, these things do not come out of the spirit. These are clearly sinful things. They come out of the flesh. And what you might notice about all of those things, if you go back down through that list and you analyze each one of them, what you might notice, they are all self-serving. All of them. They are all self-serving. They come out of pride, arrogance, self-centeredness, ego. Okay. Of which I tell you, uh, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is a place that can be confusing if you don't have a good understanding of what that word inheritance means. He is not saying people who practice those things are not saved. He is not saying that. More often than not, in Scripture, when you see the word inheritance discussed, it is not talking about inheriting the kingdom as in getting to be there. Inheritance has to do with the reward that we receive, the position that we're in when that time comes. So he's saying that if you have that freedom and that liberty and you use it for the flesh, and this is what you see in your life, all of these sinful things, these self-serving things, then you're not going to have an inheritance when the time comes for the kingdom. I'm telling you, you're going to miss out, not only now, but then. All right? So let's just make sure we're clear about that. Then, uh, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, these are things that are unselfish. These are things that come from God and His character. These are the things that come from the inside out and are evidence that you are following the Spirit and listening to the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, or the product of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Obviously, all of these things are others-serving or others-focused. And frankly, these, this is not by any means, each, neither one of these is an exhaustive list. But I'm telling you, I find for me that when I'm in a situation that's stressful or whatever it may be, and I have a decision to make, and I want to know, am I following the Spirit right now or am I following my flesh? I can look at this list and know pretty quickly. The, there, there's enough here. They are, it, he gave enough words here that they hit most situations. And I could say, you know what? I think I'm on track with this. I think I'm handling this the right way. I think I'm making the right decision. Or we're off base. All right, so this can be a great filter for us, um, this list. He says in verse 24, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So let's make sure that we're following the Spirit and focusing on other people, not turning our focus back to ourselves and using our freedom that way. Let's make sure that we're getting closer and closer and closer to the fire so we can get warmer and warmer. And as we do that, we start to see the contrast between the light and the dark, the hot and the cold, and that we choose to be closer and closer to the fire. What does that mean for us? Well, if you've never made the decision to accept Christ as your Savior, I want you to know there's no barrier to you doing that today. 
There's nothing you have to do. There's no hurdle you have to cross. There's no amends you have to make. There's no step that you have to take. Didn't mean for that to rhyme. All right, there's nothing that you have to do today other than believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin because you need a savior and I do too. He paid for your sin and for my sin. He was put into a tomb and three days later, he rose again, proving he has power over sin and death. And if you believe him and you, you believe God, you trust in Christ for salvation, then you can be saved today, regardless of your behavior. God will send the spirit to live with you and he will guide you. And then you have a choice. You have a choice on whether you're going to listen to the spirit and follow him or whether you're going to continue to listen to your flesh and follow it. And that's a decision that needs to be made and it will make all the difference in your relationships with other people. It will make a difference in your relationship and your closeness with God and it will make a difference in what you experience for all of eternity. And it's a choice to be made. But today, all you have to do if you wanna be saved is to believe and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Now, what does that mean for the rest of us or, or for you starting today or for the rest of us who have made that decision before? It means that we need to get really good at walking in the Spirit. It's a decision, a daily decision. We need to get really good at listening to Him and responding to Him so that eventually our life looks as much like Christ as it can. Where our, we're still gonna have our sin nature, but where our sin nature takes a back seat, where our sin nature becomes not anymore our go-to or our default, but that the spirit becomes our default. That's a real transformation that happens in our lives. It begins by making sure that we are learning God's character. We are looking at Jesus' life and understanding what pleases him and what does not. Understanding what is righteous living and what is sinful living. Knowing which is which. All right? Recognizing sin. The second thing is confessing sin when we recognize it in our life. When we see it. When we experience it. And repenting of that sin. So turning away and turning in a new direction and saying, I, I understand how selfish I am being with my children right now, God, and I know that's my flesh. And so I ask you to forgive me of that and I want to change. Help me to change. That's repentance, turning in a new direction. So we recognize sin, we repent of sin, and then we turn our attention to others instead of to ourselves. And that's key. So I think about, in that case, if I'm struggling with patience or anger with my children, then I turn my attention to them and their good and what they need and what they, rather than in on myself. So I focus on the good of others rather than of myself. So I recognize sin, I repent of sin, and then I, another R would just be I run from sin. <laughs> I wanna get away from it as much as I possibly can. And what you'll find, and what I found, is that the more I do this, the more I want to do it. The more I live in the spirit, the more I realize that living in the spirit is better than living in the flesh. And so when you get used to living in the spirit or you practice living in the spirit and you continue to follow him, then you wanna follow him more and more and more and more. It's like you get closer and closer to the fire, the flame gets hotter and hotter and hotter. And it is 
a better way to live. And here's the thing. You see, you see, Paul talked about the fruit of the Spirit. You get real close to the fire, you know what happens when you walk away from the fire? You smell like smoke. And everybody knows you've been in a fire. And this is what happens. The closer you get to the fire of faith, the more you follow the Spirit, the more you listen to Him, the more your life transforms, the more people look at you and they're like, hey, where you been? What have you been doing? Particularly those of you who, who have lived in your flesh for a long time and you're making the decision to change right now. You've accepted Christ as your Savior and now you're saying, I want to walk in the Spirit. People are going to notice that. And they should. And the closer you get to the fire, the more smoke you take on, the more people notice it in your life. And they say, something's changed. Something's different. What in the world is going on? And if you're showing the fruit of the Spirit, that will be very appealing to people in their lives. So we need to get as close as we possibly can. So that's the commitment I want to ask you to make today. To accept Christ as your Savior. You've never done that before. For all of us that have made that decision, the commitment is to say, I want to walk in the Spirit, understanding I'm not under the law anymore and I'm not under all those rules, that, I'm, that my salvation is secure with Christ, through Christ. But today I want to say, I am going to start walking in the Spirit more and more and more. You make that commitment with me, and some really incredible things are going to happen, not only in our life, but in our community. Let's pray together. God, we come to you and thank you right now that you love us and you didn't have to. It is in who you are. And so even though we turned our back on you in sin, you, you sent Christ to save us. It's a choice you made Christ, the choice that you made to give yourself up for us, to pay for our sin on the cross and go through that for us, it's hard for us to comprehend. But that's because we're human and because our nature is to focus on ourselves. But you focus on others and us. And so there may be someone who's watching this with us who for the first time today is saying, I believe in that. Christ, I believe that you died for me on the cross. I believe that you paid for my sin and I believe that you rose again. And as I express that belief and trust in you today, I know that you save them. I know you, for, you forgive them of their sin. Now, Lord, fill them with your spirit so that they know how to walk in the spirit rather than the flesh, that they can choose everlasting life instead of corruption, that they can choose light instead of dark and hot instead of cold. God, for all of us that are on that journey, some of us for years now, remind us, Lord, it is a daily, daily battle that we fight against the flesh. So we ask God that you would help us help our focus and our resolve. And we thank you that you've given us the spirit so that we can choose differently. So that we can choose your glory above our glory. That we can choose others' interests over our interests and experience the life that comes along with it. And we trust that your word is true and that as we do that, we're also proving ourselves faithful in the purity of our decisions in our hearts. We are proving ourselves faithful and that will mean reward for us later, opportunity for us later, responsibility later, inheritance later. And we're so thankful for that. And it's not why we do it, but we thank you that you are faithful to us in that. And so God, in all the decisions that we're making today, I pray that you would help us to honor them and see them through and that we would get to see the results of what you do through us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.